0: Well, good morning. And it is wonderful to sing those words. It is a is night to, you know, He loves us and loves us still, even though, you know, we don't do what we always should do. He's a God that um, cares for us, He wants the best for us. And. It's good to be in the house of the Lord together praising him, worshiping him, and being able to just reflect on those times when he's pulled us through uh, that uh, what we call um, those holes which we ourselves dig ourselves into more don't we do we not and he gets us he gets us out you might be in one of those holes right now and I'm hoping this can be a time where uh, he might encourage you we are going in a series to the ends of the earth right now. If you're just joining us um, online, where we're making Jesus' last words our first priority. Our first priority. And that was a the theme. Uh, this is a the theme, overall theme of the series that we're going through. But that was the um, main message from last week's. Message if you missed it, and that should be uploaded online soon. If you want to grab that and haven't um, had a chance to listen, today I want to talk about the influence, the influence of that first church. Really want to get you to imagine what it would have been like back then, and as we are living, you know, around two thousand years later, what a phenomenon it, it, it has been to see where um, the church is now, to where it first started. When you look at this map, which you might find it hard to see, uh, we have been blessed by the Book of Acts. The Book of Acts has descriptions of Paul's missionary journeys. But the more that scholars are looking back at history and, and seeing different historians' points of view, they're actually finding out that um, the gospel message, the good news that Jesus Christ died for people's sins and he rose again the third day, it just, it actually, the message um, was, I guess, uh, declared more or further than what Paul was doing at the time. Because we hear Or we're told that, you know, even the first sermon ever preached after Jesus being um, ascended into heaven, Peter had the honour of preaching that first message, did he not? And do you remember how many people got saved in that time? 3,000, just on the first day. 3,000 people. And then we're told, after that in various scriptures throughout the book of Acts, that thousands and thousands upon more people each and every day were getting saved. You just wonder, you know, why? What happened? Um, and we think, just with those apostles, that they are the only ones declaring that message. But I think it would have been probably naive to think that. Um, scholars are now, you know, finding out that, because we're told if you, I have my, this will come in handy actually. We got um, Jerusalem about here, And we're told Paul's missionary journeys is in this area, okay? And then then it came up to Europe after that. But historians are finding out that even during the time that Paul was around, um, the message uh, went east into what's now modern-day Iraq and Iran and then further into Asia. And also um, they're finding out that it went north into what we call modern Russia the message was being transformed it was being proclaimed and it starting in Jerusalem but getting further further out I even think of um, you know whether nothing that I research was mentioned about going south but I just think of Acts chapter I think it's 8 correct me if I'm wrong, with the um, Ethiopian getting baptised. All right, so he's come from the south down here on his journey up north and, and he came across Philip along the way. Surely, you know, what happened to him? I'm sure he went back down into Africa and proclaimed the good news about Jesus Christ being the Son of God. Remember last week from Acts chapter one, verse eight, God was gonna give them power to be witnesses in Jerusalem. So they're starting in Jerusalem, and then going into Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. So even at this, the, well, going a, a few years in, it was still being, dec- um, it was already uh, branching out quite a rapid uh, quite a rapid state so it's just interesting now I want to go into just quickly as a, a hook, four reasons the first church should not have grown it should not have grown okay, when you think of the, the, the things, the culture when you think of um, what the, the life was like back then number one included was this That should not have grown because, firstly, their leader was killed. Usually, when you have a a new movement and the leader straight away is killed, usually that movement dies. But it didn't in this case. Mm -hmm. Number two, it started from a backwater region. So when you look at the, you know, the Greco-Roman world, which was the main empire in charge then, okay, and then you look at Jerusalem it's just a, an, a, an average that state that no one knows about. It's, it's there. oh yeah they're the, they're the people that believe in that one true God and they, wor- they won't worship any other God other than that, you know, bunch of intolerant people and then further than that when you look at Jesus being born in Nazareth okay, when you think of the city of Nazareth that is like the, the backwater of the backwater region. That was even, yeah, even no more, no name than that. So when you think of the ruler of the world being born in a city such as Nazareth, you wonder, how did this branch how did this get a hold of people's lives? Um, further than that number three, it says the two leading authorities in that time. They stood against the church. They were against the church. We know that, the, the uh, first of all, the Roman Empire was. But the other leading authority back in that time were the Jewish leaders, even in um, the Jerusalem state. So when you think of all this persecution, they're being backed up against um, society in general. That's another reason it, it should not have grown. Um, you think of Paul, the apostle, which who wrote half the New Testament. Many of you probably know that his original name was not Paul. It was Saul. God changed Saul into Paul. Saul was part of that, uh, that Jewish lead- leading authority. And he was probably one of the main uh, people who um, had the, 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 I guess, he, the, he was the most zealous of the lot. Uh, we're told in Acts 8, chapter uh, verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men. Okay, so um, other versions would say that they're dragging men and women out of their houses. And it seems to me he had some authority because look what he was doing. He was committing them to prison. He He had some authority to throw them into prison. Saul. Um, Paul, okay, so the same guy. When you look at the books, for instance, um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 21, 22, I think. um, he, he testifies a bit of what his life was like. Philippians chapter 3, for instance, he, when you look at the word he uses of what he was like, it's, he's quite zealous. Now, zealous, when you look at the Greek, it's not like saying he was just full of this passion to, to persecute everyone who believed in Jesus Christ. This was, he would, he would, he would go to the, the, the max of his full effort He would, uh, this would be something that he died for just so he could um, pretty much kill off this movement that was called uh, The Way at the time. They were followers of The Way. Later in Antioch, they were first called, that's when they were first called Christians and Christianity um, grew from there. But it shouldn't have. Fourthly, this group of men, which we know of the disciples, and then later on, the, the people that were being saved, they had no power to grow this group, grow this movement. They had no political connections, no political power, so they, they didn't have a say in, uh, in politics. They, they had no military power, so there's no force in that way. Money. I don't, they, they, they had no financial power. And then even in um, educational, they, they didn't, we know they were unschooled men. There was no, no power whatsoever. So this is why it should not have grown when we, when we talk um, earthly, when we talk humanly speaking. Okay? Humanly power-wise, should not have happened. I want to go into now four reasons, which is the the main message of the the sermon. Four reasons why the church did grow. And you might have some right now uh, that you're thinking of. But the first one has to come down to the validity of the person of Jesus Christ. When you look at what they were preaching, they were preaching about one man, one man, who they had um, seen and at least heard of, one man who proclaimed that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah. Was he the only one proclaiming that he was the Messiah? We had some. We, we on Wednesday night we had some interesting um, thoughts on the video that we're watching, and there, no, there, there were numerous people who proclaimed that they were the son of God. And there's there's still people who do it today. Um, I think the the biggest one um, lately, relatively modern history, is Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson, that, I guess you'd call him a psychopath, uh, because he had the last name Manson, um, man and son, and he was saying he was the son of man. Um, If you Wikipedia it, there are tons of people who have proclaimed that they are a son of God. The validity of Jesus Christ, though, is that he was raised from the dead. Everything is evidenced that what he stood for, what he proclaimed, it all comes down to the resurrection of Jesus. Now, C.S. Lewis as an interesting quote. Because when you have these talks to people around you, and you could, a basic question you could ask is, What do you think of Jesus Christ? Who do you think Jesus Christ was? C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, is an interesting quote. He says, Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God but let us not come at any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher he has not left that open to us there are numerous people that I've spoken to myself that just class Jesus as a good teacher Because they cannot deny his existence. You cannot deny his existence. An atheist, though, would deny his resurrection, of course. And maybe even his death. But even that's hard to deny. Because even historians have written about that. About him being crucified on a cross. But it comes down to those things. Josh McDowell, I think it was, um, came up with the three L's. You either have to come up with three conclusions about Jesus. He is either a liar, which comes is based off what C.S. Lewis um, hypothesized. He's either a lunatic or he's Lord. He has to be one of those three. Now, what astounds me and what I cannot get over, and what really builds my faith, is that these eleven men, okay, that that, by the way, no, were 12, because was um, added 11 who were with Jesus at the time is 11 men 10 of them went to the point where they were martyred for believing in Jesus they had numerous opportunities to deny it. even John the Apostle who we know um, died in peace he was attempted uh, to be martyred by I think it was boiling oil um, pouring Being poured over him, might remember that. Uh, but he miraculously survived that. Now, why would these eleven men go to the point of death for something that they believed was a lie? That's if they were making it up, which they were being accused of doing. Remember, we're told in Scripture that you know, oh, well, the Jews, rather, the leaders of the Sanhedrin said, "Let's." Uh, let's just say that his disciples, uh, knowing that the tomb was empty, that the stone was rolled away, the Sanhedrin decided to come up with a plan and say, oh, his disciples just stole him. Now, back to the martyrdom. Why, why, what would bring someone to do that for a lie? A lie, not, not a, uh, a, a fantasized um, belief, or something that they have been brought up to believe in, but something that they had witnessed, and if they were to make that up, what would bring someone? To the point of mind? That that to me I think I cannot um, explain any other way. You have to come up with those three conclusions about the man um, of Jesus Christ. Number two, I think it grew because the message of Jesus resonated with the people of that time. Now, to understand this fully, you really have to um, get into what the culture was like back then. Uh, the, there's a, an interview that um, one of the gentlemen, even an atheist, on um, what we're going to see Wednesday night, he talks about what culture was like back then, and totally different to what it is now, thinking we're talking about, um, equality of humans, right? Which, which we're still trying to get to that point. Um, I guess these days we're arguing more, trying to argue more about uh, men and women having equal rights. Which, we, we, I believe there's some cultures that still haven't got to that point, uh, even in the Western culture. But back then, we're talking about um, leading figures such as Aristotle. Aristotle, he was known for um his i guess him patronizing slaves because back then in that culture 30 to 40 percent of the people were slaves 30 to 40 percent can you imagine that slaves (laughs) right now aristotle said something interesting aristotle classed those slaves as, quote, living tools. Because they worked for you. You used them to work. Living tools. So that you can see how much they were just, you know, I'm much better than you because you are a slave and and I am free. I think of Galatians 3.28 how, I guess, interesting this verse is. To us, it, it, it's not really interesting because, um, particularly if you're probably new to Christianity, because when it says there is neither Jew nor Greek, thinking of people saying, hey, I'm a Jew, where... Um, thinking of people, in Acts, Acts, Acts 15, those, I'm a Jew? You're, you're a Greek, you're a Gentile? Uh, but you're saying that you can participate in the, the blessings of God, whereas I've been, I'm one of God's chosen people. You can't do that. You, you have to follow the ceremonial Jewish laws in order to fully participate in the blessings of God. But no more. That was no more. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There's no difference between a slave and a free man. There is neither male nor female. And we're talking about before gender equality rights. Back then, oh, that was, it was really bad. Very bad. Uh, but from now on, they have a message from Jesus that says, everyone is equal. In God's sight, whether you're a slave or whether you're free, you are on equal terms with God. Their dignity, people's dignity, um, from what this um, Tom Holland, I think his, his name is, describes that this would have been life-changing to them, to know that, wow, I am precious in God's sight, regardless of whether I'm female or male. Regardless of whether I'm a slave. Regardless of whether I'm a prostitute or, 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 um, or just a, 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 a normal tax collector. A person with an education. I can be made new in God's sight. Precious. A dignity. For the first time ever. Because I couldn't say Restored. Because never, it was never, there was never any dignity in that culture for those kinds of people. This message was, was new. Number three, the power of the Spirit of God. You would obviously, probably this is the first thing that you thought of, which was mine. The, the Spirit of God is what empowers people, is it not? It's what grows people. It's what you know, um, multiplies the church. It's what empowers us to do what we are meant to do, to fulfill the Great Commission. To go to the ends of the earth and proclaim the good news, and she cannot think, uh, but think of Paul or Saul. Okay, come back to a a person who was had a, a life mission just to destroy Christians. Some by just putting him in prison, and some even by beating him, and maybe even. Even killing, going to the point of killing them. For this man to be changed into a person that was going to be on the receiving end. And we know what Paul went through. All the stonings, all the, the shipwrecks, all the, 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 the torment that he went through. Uh, persecution just for the name of Jesus. We think of Acts chapter 9. This is the spirit of God being evidenced in Paul's life as he was approaching Damascus. This is Paul, obviously. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. So he's walking towards Damascus. All of a sudden, he would have had some people with him. All of a sudden, a light shines from heaven. He falls to the ground and he hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Whether this was an audible voice coming from heaven or whether this was just a voice um, being um, that only he could hear, we do not know. But as a response, he says, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Did Paul have a choice to obey? that command of course he did but in his case well, i was wondering what would have happened if he did it would he still be blind but remember he's blind for three more days so he he, he, he straight away responds to the spirit of god but though he's not relieved of those um, things that were happening to him and then with, told in verse 19 to 22 so we go from Saul on a mission to kill Christians and then Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God so now he's preaching that Jesus is the Son of God in the synagogues so to the Jews and all those who heard him see that in verse 21 Acts chapter 9 all those who heard him were astonished as you would be right and they asked the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name and hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ he went from one extreme to the other How do you explain that other than some supernatural spirit helping him? Which we know now, having the complete scriptures and the complete revelation of God, we're um, told that the Spirit of God enters you once you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God. The third person in the Trinity is the one that empowers you to do what you have been created to do. To be honest. To to walk a life worthy of Jesus Christ. And then we come down to the fourth thing the credibility of the followers of Jesus. The credibility of the followers. And the influence that would have had on their credibility. Because when you think of all the things that Jesus taught to his disciples, I'm sure they were one who uh, did um, what they, what they uh, preached. Um, they not just talked about the things of God, they actually followed them in their life. We're told in the book of Matthew. And I'm going to actually open up my Bible because the passage is, is quite long. And it's, I think it's good to be reminded of this story that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25. <laughs> It's the separation of sheep and goats and, and this is, we're talking about the judgment of the nations. It's something that's going to happen in the future when there is actual, an actual separation. And we're told later in the chapter what will happen to those who haven't. But it's just, I'm going to actually going to read all of it because I'm going to end on this thought because this is the application really For us we're talking about the credibility of the followers of Jesus so Jesus is telling them when the son of man in verse 31 shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them One from another, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Verse 34 Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, listen very carefully. Because this is still the king talking. For I was hungered or hungry and you gave me meat. You gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. So when you're hearing this, just imagine Jesus telling you this right then and there okay surely the the, the the reply in verse 37 makes sense because the the righteous will answer him saying Lord when did we see you hungry when did we feed you um, when were you thirsty and, and we gave you drink when when did we see you as a stranger and we took you in when were you naked and and when do we clothe you? That's what that, that, those, that response is, is saying. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. When I go out there and I help a stranger out, For the name of Jesus, I clothe them, I, I feed them. In reality, I'm doing it for the king, I'm doing it for my Lord. The scary part is the complete opposite of that, which Jesus interestingly does word for word but adds. Is negatives in. Because in verse 41, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you, took, you didn't take me in. Um, naked, and you, you, you didn't clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and, and, and we didn't have the opportunity to minister unto you. 45. Then shall ye answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So this is the, the The evidence that a person is a child of God by doing it to the least of one of his brethren the same as doing it to him the credibility of the followers of Jesus and that's the conclusion what is your part because we're talking about the growth of the church the souls of mankind being multiplied, the spiritual maturity of the believers being increased and we have an opportunity here as a local church in Harvey Bay. God has brought this church into existence and I believe we're here for a reason in this moment of time. You might only be here for a short time. You might have been here for a long time and continue to be here for a long time but question we need to be continually asking ourselves is what is our part in the growth of Fraser Coast Baptist Church. This is something that you cannot just do individually, but corporately as a body of believers. I'm convinced that the Lord wants us to do it not just individually, even though yes, individually, as well as corporately together as a body of believers. Until we continue to reach the ends of the earth. For us, it might just be that person down the street, maybe in the hospital there, maybe um, across the road at that school, or or here at at this school. It could be your neighbor in your street, Your, your work colleague, whoever it may be. That's our purpose and we need to continually be engaged in that as we live our walk with the Lord. Let's pray to that end that the Lord will empower us to do just that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your everlasting and miraculous, phenomenal love that you have bestowed on us and demonstrated to us Lord God in that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners you didn't wait for us to come around or you didn't wait for us to get right with you Lord you took it upon yourselves, yourself already and we just want to thank you for that Father God, we understand and recognize that you just haven't done that just so we could wait for heaven to come to us. But we're thankful that you have, we have your spirit to empower us to enable heaven to be experienced down here on earth as we think of blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers we think of those beatitudes father god which helps us realize that heaven is to be experienced here on earth as it is up above father god so we just thank you we give you praise and we can continue to look up to you as um, the provider of all our needs as the source of um, who we are to be and the things we are supposed to do the words we are to say when we meet that one which you have um, uh, ordained for us to meet, Lord God. We thank you. We give you praise. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.